Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got a loaded show for you today. It is Colin Brister and I's normal Sunday conversation as Ole Miss took two of three from UCF over the weekend. We got into a lot of different stuff regarding the rotation. Uh, really just a relentless offense that threw up a gigantic stinker in the middle that seems to probably be an anomaly. Um, some bullpen rolls continuing to flesh itself out and what this rotation might look like in April versus um, – as it currently does so got a couple of uh, housekeeping notes for you so this is coming at you a little bit later on a Monday Colin and I recorded this on Sunday night and I being the tech savant that I am actually lost the file thought it might be I, I was I was not eliminating any of the possibilities I saw it maybe suggested on the board that it was a uh, it was a uh, Saudi based attack for me sticking with uh, Brentford, despite previously declaring that if Newcastle United beat Brentford, I would switch my allegiance to Saudi Castle United. But uh, so I don't know. Authorities are looking into it, but the file disappeared. I can't comment on a uh, ongoing investigation, but we have not ruled out the Saudis' involvement in this. Luckily, the attack was futile because I found the file this morning, and then I had to go to my day job. So anyway, long story short, I uh, we're coming at you a little bit later. But Ole Miss has had some breaking news baseball-wise since then as Mike Bianco went on Sports Talk Mississippi, my old radio show, not my old show, show I used to work on, put it that way, and uh, announced that, one, Kevin Graham will be out four to six weeks with a broken wrist, or four weeks with a broken wrist, I should say. Um, what I had heard be- right before that was four to six weeks, doesn't matter. And then that he, Mike Bianco is shaking up the rotation this weekend. So Colin and I recorded this before, obviously, we knew any of that happened. So what we're going to do is, is I'll post Colin and I's conversation that we're going to get to here in a minute. And then I'm going to give some brief thoughts on the back end of this. So we're going to do some time traveling on this podcast. So it'll be Colin and I with our Sunday conversation coming at you on a Monday after I miraculously covered, recovered the file. I don't know. Maybe I should apply with, uh, for a job at one of those Geek Squad deals. I don't even know if they still do that. I think Best Buy is pretty much defunct at this point. But anyway, that's how we're going to do the podcast today. Loaded show. Buckle up. Great conversation. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You need to go check these guys out. We had someone make a, uh, a uh, meme. I think that's what the kids are calling it these days on Twitter over the weekend about the uh, iconic uh, Skybox ad read. And I believe Skybox gave the man a week worth of free plays. So it pays to, um, it pays to uh, I guess, be invested in the pod. I don't know. Skybox is the best in the business, though. You need to check them out. Their March Madness package is uh, going to be hitting the site soon as we get cranked up for the NCAA tournament. If you buy the March Madness package, it's already up on the site. Excuse me, I misspoke. It's uh, If you buy it right now and use the promo code MADNESS, you'll get 25% off. And then any and all other purchases use that promo code RIPPY, get 20% off. This is one of the gambling meccas of the year, right? We got March Madness heating up. The NBA's winding down the regular season. Hockey playoffs start starting up here soon. You're going to want to check out Skybox Sports Picks. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether it's month-long, season-long. You might as well try them for the month of March. They're going to make you money. And how awesome would it be to leave March Madness with a gigantic sack of cash 
and supplementary income that you didn't have before. Skybox is going to lead you to profit more consistently than uh, any of us are going to do with our own dumb brains. They are the professionals. You need to check these guys out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Check out that March Madness package. They got NASCAR heating up, all kinds of great stuff going on over there. They're the best in the business. Check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. If you ever have any questions about any of the packages or whatever, feel free to shoot me a DM and I will uh, make sure you get in contact with the right people. By the way, I had a couple people checking in over the weekend about the NASCAR package and uh, a couple other things, but check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Use that promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E, and that will let them know we sent you. The podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. It's the best place in the world to get meat. Oxford is so lucky to have it. It's the best butcher shop on earth. Right now, if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week and discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. The weather's getting warmer. Days are getting longer. You're going to want to start firing up the grill, throwing stuff on, enjoying the uh, nice warm temperatures, and um, just being outside. And it is, as grilling season cranks up, Greg is here to make your grilling season great. Uh, they got all kinds of great different cuts in there. I uh, love the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausages, fresh seafood, crab stuff, mushrooms. Go find your own favorites at LB's. It is the best place in the world to get meat. University Avenue and soon to be in the central Mississippi area serving the Jackson community out there in Glugstadt. So be on the lookout for that. I believe that store opens in April. I think someone had a question on Mailbag Friday about that. Check them out, LB's University Avenue. All right, let's get to Colin Brister and I's conversation that is again recorded on Sunday, and then I'll offer a little bit of updated thoughts at the end here as I sit here on a Monday night, uh, feeling like the biggest techno- technological hero of the last century for heroically recovering uh, the file and the podcast not being lost. So credit to me, not to brag, but uh, just a statement of fact, I did single-handedly recover this file. Here is Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. We are here to discuss all angles of Ole Miss's two-point loss to Vanderbilt and what that means for the future of the basketball. Did you watch the second of that for real? <laughs> Dude, no. Did you? I So I, I got – I unfortunately got a crowd shot about 10 so, minutes before the game. And I'm not a crowd shamer, but my God. So I just was scrolling scores like on my ESPN app as I've watched the end of the baseball game. Or maybe it was right after the baseball game, whatever. And I see that it's like – a two-point game with eight le- eight seconds left. You know how you can just hit the watch with a watch button. I was yeah. like, "Yeah, screw it. Let's see what happens." And uh, I saw, I think James White drive into the lane and take a horrible shot and almost lost by two. I'll tell you how disconnected I was. So I had to, I was traveling this weekend, uh, and so I was traveling back on Saturday. So my, I guess what my point is, my normal Saturday routine of kind of checking things and kind of seeing what I need to watch the day was a little altered. And so it was my girlfriend's birthday. And we were uh, we were about to go eat lunch somewhere, and I was kind of timing it to where I would catch most of the Saturday game. And I was kind of planning out my day. And, like, basketball never even crossed my radar. So, her – I have a reason for bringing this up. Her mom has gotten into the women's team, and she likes Coach Young, yeah. and she's been following that. And so, MC was like, so Ole Miss plays South Carolina Day in basketball. I was like, yeah, that sounds right. And then <laughs> about 345, I was like – wait a minute. No, I know this. They're playing Vanderbilt. What time is that game? <laughs> I know I'm still halfway paid to cover this, but like, I didn't, I didn't put the opponent in when the game was together until like it was halfway over. I had no idea to be honest. Did, uh, 
so Chase sent out a tweet like during the end of the baseball game. It's like I'd like to know uh, the percentage of Ole Miss fans that are watching the basketball game versus baseball. And now, mind you, the basketball game could be viewed for free. You had to pay six dollars to watch the baseball game, and it was like eighty-eight percent. It was like ninety-five percent to two. Yeah, I I saw that, <laughs> and honestly, I was like, those two percent are liars. <laughs> And it's watching that. Pitching that though, right? Because so obviously, kind of doing what we do, like I'm just going to pay for ESPN Plus. Like I kind of right. just have it to get it done. But but not everyone is like that. And I I was I get that. But I also like I always I guess I forget like that. You know, sometimes when you get to some of these non-conference games, you actually kind of have to pay to see it beyond what people's normal packages are. And to your point, even beyond, I get it, it's a Twitter poll. It's not necessarily reflective of reality. But to have something be 95 to 2 when you actually have to pay for kind of what I would consider a pretty hardcore-ish sports fan package just to watch Ole Miss, that's pretty jarring. <laughs> kind of an indictment, isn't it? Yeah, man. They, I mean, we always turn this into basketball corner by accident, but to hell with it, I'm here for it. They go 4-14. Four and 14. I'm in the camp of Kermit probably – like, given just his – it's not even just, like, a an Ole Miss thing. Given his overall track record as a head coach, I kind of lean towards the camp. I give him one more year and just see what this looks like. I have my doubts, but see what it looks like. But it's also, like, if someone were to make the counterargument, no, I think you can him now, I would just throw my hands up and be like, okay, like, I don't have any sort of, like, no, you're short-sighted, you're being emotional, that type of thing. Like, it's just kind of, eh. Like, I think he gets another year, but, man – we talked about this a couple weeks ago in our first baseball pods. They pulled that Georgia game out shorthanded and credit to them, but they lose nine in a row if they don't win that game. And does he get another year if that happens? Is there a win in Athens against a Georgia team that was firing Tom Crean from January on? Is that really what's making a difference? Because I think you can make the argument it is. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, here's my only argument, and I'm with you. I, I fully expect him. I shouldn't say fully. I do expect him to be the coach at Ole Miss next year. I think so, there, right? Like, it wouldn't stun you? No, it wouldn't stun me. I'd be a little surprised, I think. Me too. Um, I just – what what bothers me and what makes me kind of – on the other side, like, if I'm an AD, and thank God I, I'm not because I would be, do a lot of stupid things. Um, my, my rationale to be – and, you know, it may be time to make changes. Like, I look at next year, I'm like, how the hell is he going to fix this? Um, so, like – I can justify giving him another year. What I can't really wrap my brain around is how's he going to fix this next year? Because next year it's, it's got to look a whole heck of a lot better for him to keep his job. And um, I don't know how that goes about happening is, is kind of, you know, and maybe if I'm the AD, he can convince me it could, and maybe he would, but it just kind of feels like, I don't, I don't understand how he's going to get this fixed in 12 months. If he keeps Morell, I can see it because he's got to, if he doesn't keep Morell, this is done. Yeah, I, I agree, but that's kind of a big thing. And, look, I don't know anything about the situation, but, like, if you don't – I know nothing yet. Me neither. Like, but if you don't keep Morell, like, then, then it's a whole different conversation because if you have Morell and you have – I was about to say Jarko Joyner, but what I really meant was Deshaun Ruffin. Right. You have two pieces. And Joyner, even if he – I don't know how Joyner necessarily fits in the backcourt next year, and this is a conversation for another day, but he's a good spot-up shooter that can do some stuff. He's a good – he's a decent SEC guard. Honestly – if you fill out the roster just okay, you don't have to have a lot more than that. Like, I think when you fill out the roster with, you know, five dudes that are, like, as good or better than the backcourt you have in those two, that's when you get, like, an Auburn situation. But if you're an Ole Miss team trying to finish in the top half of the league and just make the tournament, all you have to do is kind of be adequate in your evals around those two or those three. 
And honestly, that's been the problem this year. They were I was not so sorry, but he has right. Like, so I can see the path, but to your point, he's going to have to prove something that he hasn't done yet at Ole Miss from an evaluation standpoint, which is what I think it eventually boils down to, right? Yeah. So we better talk about baseball before we get turned off. I was about to say the people <laughs> listening are probably like, "Why do these two dudes always just start talking hoops randomly?" <laughs> Ole Miss, what we really came here to talk about is Ole Miss takes two of three from UCF. And I was listening to a part of my take podcast the other day where Big Cat was – it was a bit that they were doing where he was saying that people on the internet were uh, complaining that he says this is the best time of year too often. Apparently he says that like 200 weeks of the year. But he was like, no, trust me, this is actually one of the best times of the year. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the warmer weather in Dallas this weekend. Maybe it was the fact that you're getting March Madness games on top of some good college baseball and Ole Miss got tested. But this kind of felt like the first weekend we learned a decent bit about this team. And, like, you can kind of see, I guess, the figurative wheels turning into motion as this sucker heads towards conference play. Because, right, you're going to play an Oral Roberts team next weekend that you should, you know, pretty handily sweep. But then SEC play is here. And, like, I don't even necessarily know where I was going with that. I just felt like we learned something about this team, and you can now kind of see the season start taking full swing, if that makes any sense at all. So I want to preface or premise this with um, how good do you think UCF is? Like, that looks That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, how, how good do you think they are? Because I'm interested. So I thought they were pretty good, to be honest. Yeah. I thought they were a regional team that will finish. Yep without knowing a ton about the rest of the American hand up. Like I, I know a couple of teams, I know like Wichita state will probably have a pretty good club. Big series win in new Orleans this weekend. They did. There was a club that beat a top 15 sec club in New Orleans this weekend to your point, but I actually thought UCF was pretty good. I was very impressed with what, uh, what they had on the mound. And to be honest, and we can get into this in a second, while they didn't have a terrific offensive weekend by any stretch, right? They scored two runs over the last 18 innings. I didn't think they were like, – I didn't think there were a ton of throwaway at bats. I thought Ole Miss really had to work at the plate. And I don't know what UCF's offense is necessarily going to be. But, you know, we went into this game thinking, wow, UCF has pitched it really well, but how real is that given that they haven't faced an offense like Ole Miss? Where I never necessarily thought I would come out of this series thinking – you know, UCF had come in and they had tanked the ball in the seven or eight games they played. They had really hit it well, and Ole Miss kind of stifled them. And so I guess yeah. what I'm getting at is I think they're going to be better. I think they're a regional team. I think they're a two or three seed. Yeah, it kind of – they, to me, maybe, you know, they feel like an Alabama or a Auburn maybe uh, or a Texas A&M where, you know, it's not a, you know, regional host. It's obviously not a national seed, but it's a team that I think it's either a bottom tier two or top uh, top of the line three seed um, and Ole Miss kind of went in there and and, and played as well um, outside the Saturday as they could I mean they put up eight runs on Friday night I thought Friday night and I went back I, I didn't get to watch Friday night but I got to I went back and watched it a um, little bit this morning and then after the game some what was really impressive to me was this right so Litchfield the kid on Friday is he's a sinker ball guy, really works down. Well, if you if you look at Ole Miss's offensive history, they, they struggle with that type of pitcher. Well, you look back at last year, and, and they faced a kid, and I cannot remember his name for the life of me, from LSU, uh, Labus. Now I can. Yeah, um, Labus. Throws nine innings. Ole Miss can't get him off the mound. Ole Miss can't do anything with him. He just, he just shoves it on Ole Miss. 
And to well, add context to your point real quick, that's after Diamond makes the spot start on short notice in place of Hoagland. So you went into that night thinking, oh, Ole Miss is about to take the series with a chance to sweep. And, and Labus just kind of I – mean, he poo-pooed that idea. He, he, he shut him down. Fun fact about Derek Diamond's uh, – that, that start you mentioned, he actually lost that game. So Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, – they Broadway had a bad night, his only bad night of the year, pretty much, and kind Sorry, of. That. My brain was just. I didn't uh, point. No, but Labus. So what I was getting at is Labus just kind of shoves and shoves and shoves, and Ole Miss can't fight to get him off the mound. Well, Litchfield was throwing pretty well, and Ole Miss got his pitch count up, and then the ball started to flatten out. He left some pitches up. Boom, boom, boom. He's off the mound. He's down six to five or tied six six. I can't remember. Um, and then, you know, Ole Miss is able to take the game and then and win the game. That's what this offense, I think, has done a better job of this year. Um, and, I, look, obviously, watch the game Saturday. I know what happened. But I feel like they really, really, really make pitchers work. Man, you look at the game on Sunday, uh, the kids at 50 pitches uh, through, like, two innings. Um, so, Ole Miss has done a really good job of making pitchers work and getting to bullpens where, obviously, the arms are not anywhere near as elite. You know, we can talk about Saturday uh, here in a minute, but, man, just kid through 95 to 98 miles an hour. Like, you know, sometimes you just got to tip your cap, right? Yes, absolutely. And it's a terrific point you just made on Friday because what you're talking about, and we had talked about this when we recorded for the Thursday show, about like, hey, Ole Miss is actually about to face their first real dude, right? Like, Litchfield, look, he's not – he's kind of your basic right-hander, but, like, that guy could pitch in the SEC. Like, sure. he's a good right-handed pitcher, right? And, like, it was the first real guy they were going to face. And Ole Miss – and Litchfield faced the minimum through four innings because the only hit – the only base runner that Ole Miss would have had was you had a Leatherwood single in the third where he tried to stretch that out to two bases and got thrown out. We can maybe get to the base running part of it, which part of me I find hilarious later. But to your point, Ole Miss gets through – gets to Litchfield the second time in the order, and they start working counts. And – to add on to what you're talking about, to where the sinker baller starts to flatten out a little bit, to start the top of the fifth inning, Kevin Graham, he's in a one-two count, and he leaves one, Litchfield being, leaves one kind of over the plate to where it doesn't have that sink to it. All of a sudden, you have a um, you have a, a, a leadoff single, and then Justin Bench works a count full, and then he singles, and then TJ McCants takes what I thought, I can't remember if it was a fastball, honestly, off the top of my head, I think it was, and puts it over the fence. And then all of a sudden, it's three to two Ole Miss, despite him having faced the minimum three batters ago you know what I mean and like yep. they strike so quickly but to your point you're right because when you started getting even in that fourth inning when they didn't score you had a little bit more of a competitive at bat from both Gonzalez and Elko I think Chatagne in that inning had popped out on like three pitches or whatever but you could kind of start to see it and it's like okay they're kind of getting to him a little better because honestly they had him like he kind of made Ole Miss look a little silly through the first three innings um I mean, that the, the Kevin Graham had a nice at bat in the second, and then Leatherwood caught a fastball in like a 1-0 count or something. But beyond that, like he had made pretty quick work on this. But it just shows you, one, how quick this offense can strike. And to your point, when they start working counts and guys wear down a little bit, I mean, Litchfield slipped slightly, and he lost a, a 2 nothing lead in three hitters. Yep. And then lost a, what, 6-4 lead in three hitters? I say then his office puts up a four spot in the bottom half of the inning and we can get to the diamond part of that. Oh. And then he lost a, uh, he lost a six to three lead in one, two, three, seven pitches. <laughs> Eight pitches. What's funny about that is like, you, you can see it on love. Absurd. 
you could you could see it on Love Letty's face after Shatnia hits the bomb. It's like, okay, I got to get someone going. Maybe I can get one more hitter. And it's just like, tink, tink. And he's like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I was trying to get somebody in there with the lead, and these guys are just taking me to the moon. Um, and so. and Ye hit him to the moon, and then Gonzalez took a first pinch over the right field. And then you're like, like I imagine if I'm Litchfield, I'm like, damn it, now I have to face Tim Elko. And then he had a pretty competitive bout to Elko. I believe that ran full to like six or seven pitches. And then he makes one mistake. And Elko sent that sucker 400 something feet. And all of a sudden, hey, game's tied. Remember that six to three lead you had? Uh, no Moss, pal. Um, yeah. And then the offense puts up two. And the, I can't even remember how they put up the two. Got um, another two run bomb. It's a, but it's a, to your That's point, right. Shetnia, yeah. It's another two. It's another example of how you really can't slip against this lineup. Because if you remember how that seventh inning played out, you had a ground out by Leatherwood and Dunhurst. Uh, Burford had a really nice at bat to draw a walk. And then Shotney hit the first pitch over the fence. So, yeah. whoever that was in relief, I can't remember that kid's name. I think it was uh, Besky or whomever it was. Like, he gets the first two guys out, and you're thinking, all right, well, it looks like they're going to head to the eighth in a tie game. All of a sudden, Burford comes back, and draw, comes back to draw a walk, and then Chatney puts another one over the fence, and it's like, oh, now they have a cushion. Like, all, like literally in three pitches. Yeah. And then, you know, Johnson's able to get the job done after the, the shaky eighth. Man, this, this offense, look. People are going to say, well, well, Saturday happened. Yeah, and Saturday happens to really good offenses all the time. Um, so this this offense is who we thought they were. They scored eight. They scored nine on the road against a, a quality opponent. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really, really good offense that is going to help win Ole Miss a lot of games. Now, there are some things from Friday night on the other side of the ball that, that I think concern me. Um, but – this offense, to me, it, it just kind of is who we think it is. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And it's – it's so I read Chase's observations on uh, Sunday mo- – this morning out from the Saturday game, and I think he put it well to where – I think he said he's not going to waste a ton of digital ink on the offense. Just, yes, it was a bad day, but, like, until further notice, it's not really an issue for this team. And I think that was a great way to encapsulate it. But remember last year and the last couple years as we've done this very – various iterations of this show – we get kind of annoyed when Mike says that's just baseball sometimes, but sometimes it plays. And to be honest, sure. the Saturday game was, like, I guess, in a way, that's just baseball. Yes, they were terrible at the plate on offense, but man, it's a 56 game season. Like, they're, you know, this offense is not completely invincible. They're very good, but that's just going to happen someday. And to be honest, I left that Saturday game, and we can jump back to the dominant part in a second, but just to make the point, kind of putting a bow on the offense on the bad day that they had on Saturday. I left that game being like, yeah, they lost that and they deserve to lose it. But man, how good was that pitching? And I guess it was just probably from the sense of like, I never really figured the offense was going to be a problem despite having a putrid day on Saturday. You know what I mean? So we'll revert back to to Friday and and the pitching side of this. But you know what? And and I want to talk about two things with Saturday uh, with Mike. Everybody criticizes Mike for the bunt with Van Cleve and and it's deserved criticism. Don't get me wrong. It was was a horrible decision. And I, I, I can't defend it. I won't defend it. Here's where I will give Mike some credit, though, right? What would have been the easy thing to do in the top of the – or the bottom of the eighth inning in a zero-to-zero zero game? What would have been the easy easy guy to bring in right there? Hold on. You're making me look. So, so you're zero-zero top of the eighth. Is that correct? No, well, bottom of the eighth. And, and Ole Miss has got to make a pitching change. Gaddis is pit- – Pitch count is, is too high, and he, he's got to come out. Who's the easy guy just to go to right there? 
Jack Doherty? Jack Doherty. Did he do that? No, he did not. And that's a great point. I didn't think about it that way. He he has, and I think he said this in his media day, he all but admitted I didn't do a good enough job developing a bullpen. Well, you don't get to say that and then not develop the bullpen. So give him a lot of credit for putting freshmen, three freshmen? No, two freshmen and, and Elliot. And then you know, um, both of those freshmen played high school baseball. Somewhere in the MAIS, I'm betting. That is correct. Carry on. No, no, no. Hunter played Tupelo High. No, no, no. So it is three freshmen then. It's Raleigh Maddox, it's Mason Nichols, and no, right. Well, yes, uh, Maddox was, was on Friday. You're right. Um, oh, well, you're uh, talking Saturday. Sorry. Yes. I just wanted to get an MIS jab in there. Proceed. I, I made my point. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, he, he goes to make Mason Nichols and, and he's really good. And he goes to Hunter Elliott until he loses control. He's really good. Um, and he's, it just appears that he is, and thank God for it. He is dead set on, I am going to build a bullpen. I have the arms to do it. And when it gets to late May and it gets to June, we're going to have more than one or two dudes I can rely on. Um, and, man, credit to him. He got through this weekend with two wins. And Jack Doherty, I'm not even sure, went to the bullpen. Um, so, you know, uh, Mike deserves – look, you'll deserve a lot of criticism for the bunt decision. I think he deserves a lot of a lot of uh, praise is the right word, but a, a lot of – uh, whatever you want to call it, for making up his mind that, by God, he is going to develop a bullpen. And what you're talking about is, and this is one of the things, one of the few things that I kind of miss about being around it every day, was because Chase has written about this a couple of times throughout the, um, I guess, preseason, if you'll call it, and early on in the season. Uh, and it's something you just don't pick up on unless you're kind of in the media availabilities with that maniac every day, is <laughs> the fact that last year, and he makes a good point, was he – Remember last year they went into conference play and we kind of had this disillusioned view and in hindsight it's 2020, but it, that's what it turned out to be of like, Hey, like they got nine guys they can count on. Well, like when it's that small of a sample size, one that's kind of, I guess, a little bit naive to think, but two, you would don't actually really know. And so a couple of like quotes that Mike has had throughout the early part of this season, I think is hinted at the fact that is I think he wants to enter sec play with four or five dudes that he knows he can trust versus nine guys that have been nice in spots throughout the non-conference play, right? And I think that ties into our conversation. I feel like every time we've done one of these Sunday shows, we've brought up the fact that, like, oh, did Wes Burton pitch? Did Jackson Kimbrell pitch? And we can get to the Kimbrell part later. But, like, did those known commodities that they had last year pitch? And them not getting innings beyond the fact that Ole Miss was run-ruling people, I think was partially because of Mike's strategy, mindset, whatever you want to call it, of, hey, I want to find four dudes I trust and just roll with them instead of having nine guys that I think about that I think I can trust. And then him ending up in April, having to burn a red shirt off Doherty because like actually of those nine guys, like eight of them, I can't trust them at all. You know what I mean? It's almost yeah. like he's eliminating his options to be more sure about the four or five that he has. And I think that's a smart strategy to your point. I think he, uh, I think he deserves credit for that because trusting Mason Nichols, trusting Riley Maddox and trusting a Hunter Elliott, true freshman in spots like that is important. And I think it's a wise strategy. What did you think – I'll ask you this, and then we need to get to Friday's starting pitcher in just a minute. What did you think about him bringing in Mitch Morrell with a game on the line? What, like, to me – and I'll say this. I kind of thought this coming into the year that Morrell is going to have a bigger role in the team. Look, obviously, Saturday he got put into a really tough spot. Almost I think he's a spot. 
Yeah, I think he's a guy that really, really helps Ole Miss at some point this year. He's got a really high spin rate fastball. He's able to throw a breaking ball into the strike zone. He's a junior. He's kind of he's kind of been in the program for a while. I, that's the guy that I look at and, and thinking, you know, maybe May or um, April that is one of their one of their top bullpen arms because I'm he went to him with the game on the line. Um, so obviously they think a lot of the kid. You're right. You're dead on there. And it's, it actually, I think, goes back into, so as that moment was playing, I was texting you. And so what, so Ole Miss is down second and third because Hunter, Hunter Elliott had given up back-to-back walks. And then right. ironically, UCF had actually laid down successfully his sacrifice. Which was smart. <laughs> yeah, in that scenario, right, if you're talking about one of the few scenarios where bunting is acceptable, I'm with you on that. Like, I know, so Neil has the deal where he's like, never bunt. I am – like if there's a stance, I don't know if you could fit this on a t-shirt very rarely, but that's one of the scenarios. So they get him on. So it's second and third one out. Right. And he goes to Mitch Morell. And I was curious as he, Mitch Morell was running out of the bullpen. I was sitting there thinking, I was like, this is an interesting move, right? Cause you have to get Elliot out of the game. Clearly the kid doesn't really have it. Like he's had the couple first couple of uh, outings and it's slipping a little bit. And you can't let this kid walk or run in and in the game. So you have to go to someone, but honestly, in the back of my mind, I was having a little bit of trouble, and maybe I just missed the TV broadcast showing who was up in the pen. Maybe I didn't. But I was like, I don't think you go to Doherty here. Who do you go to? I was genuinely perplexed as to, like, what you would do. And Morell comes into the game, and I think part of it goes back to the text I sent you to where it's second and third with one out. And I think a lot of people immediately jumped on the bandwagon or the case of, hey, why don't you walk in? and set up uh, your defense for a double play. That way one ground ball gets you out of the inning. And we disagreed on this, but obviously we – like I see both sides of it. It wasn't like a at the risk of turning this in the first take. It wasn't like, no, you're wrong, I'm right, blah, 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 or vice versa. I was on the side of I probably would have walked him to set up the uh, to set up the double play ball. And you were more on the side of, no, this kid had struck out four times on the weekend. The better hitter was behind and pitched to a strikeout. But what your strategy, like the, the side that you aired on, is actually what he told me about Mitch Morell was I think he really trusts that kid swing and miss stuff. And I think he yeah. trusts him in like a super high leverage position to go get a strikeout when you absolutely have to have it and nothing else. And granted, it didn't work out that way. But your question was, what did Jet tell you? I think he really trusts Mitch Morell's stuff to the point of like this kid can miss bats. And again, it didn't work out that way, but that's what that told me. Yeah. And, you know, the, the – my only complaint with the with the walk and don't walk him thing was like, I'm not going to get up in arms and get pissed off had they walked the kid. All all I like my thing was I wouldn't do that. I don't think either decision was bad. You're already yeah. almost in an impossible situation there. Um, but you know, Mitch, you know, the kid gets the ball, a bat on a ball, and is able to punch it over. You know, the, the infielders, and, and they win the game. But no, it's look. I think Mike deserves a lot of credit for for forcing himself to develop this bullpen. Um, Mitch, like I said, he's got a high spin rate fastball. Ball really sneaks up on him. I think he's ninety two, ninety three, maybe ninety ninety one, ninety two. Um, I think he's going to really, really help Ole Miss this year. I think they're going to be okay in the bullpen. And here's a here's a conspiracy theory. I don't know if you can call it conspiracy theory. I think it's interesting that Jack Doherty didn't throw a pitch this weekend. After I'm not sure he pitched last weekend. Um, you know, so what did he finish? He finished one of those games, and he finished the Tuesday game yeah. against Monroe. So I don't think he pitched the weekend before unless I'm, I'm misremembering. I, I don't look think it up, he did I either. Right. 
and what I'm starting to wonder is if they they've got two midweek games this week. I'm wondering. Here's it's going to be interesting if he starts one of those because I, I I do think that he is Mike has been or it's been proven to Mike that hey you've got dudes back here that get out if you need to move Johnson or you need to move Doherty into that rotation you got the depth to be able to do it um, which, which is, is massive very important based on what we saw this weekend right like so that's a that's a, that's a good let's just segue this into the diamond conversation let's draw it yeah. back to Friday real quick right because that's so that's the case. And I texted both you and Chase probably the same message after the fifth inning on Friday. That was kind of – so Ole Miss is Friday so, game. So, by the way, I want to give you some context. Um, I checked my phone in between the JV and varsity game, and Ole Miss was leading, I think, three to two. And I just looked at the stat broadcast, and, like, we had a delay or something in the middle of varsity game. So I go check my phone again, and the first message on my phone is, this is unsustainable in SEC play. <laughs> I'm like, ah, damn. <laughs> It may have been me, to be honest. I think, it, it was I think my text was something to like, there's no way this is going to happen for 10 weeks in the SEC play. Yeah, that's what it was. Like, this is not going to work in the SEC. So, I'm like, okay, the rubs are down. So that's hey, uh, but that so that's a that's a great segue though. So let's just get into it because and I know you you were working, so you didn't you weren't as locked into this game. And I was luckily given the spot that I was, was so I was at a family get together. And uh, because like we were in Nashville this weekend and like after we were eating dinner together or whatever. And so I just became laptop guy because I needed to watch the game after the long day that we had. My brothers wanted to watch the game. My dad wanted to watch the game. Now, most of my relatives did not seem to understand old Mrs. Rotational issues or, uh, <laughs> or the, yeah. nor did they care <laughs> yeah, nor, or, uh, or what the great Derek Diamond debate. But I was going to have it with them anyway, whether anyone was listening. But <laughs> Somebody was going to hear me. Yeah, so, someone's going to hear me out, damn it. So, so what happened was it was interesting because he, I thought Diamond had a very interesting start because I think it was, I think I tweeted something to like, this was the great Diamond inflection point. Can he be the guy that gets you five? Because he got you four that were okay. He gave up yes. a run in each inning. He didn't let it compound. And then, damn it, as Derek Diamond always is, he was almost out of the fifth until he wasn't. <laughs> And then the, they put up a crooked letter in the for, or a number in the form of a four spot, and Diamond didn't give them five, but he was close to doing that. And so I don't even really necessarily know where you want to start with his outing, but it just wasn't quite good enough. And if it's not quite good enough against a UCF team, that will probably be an NCAA tournament regional team, but it's certainly not going to be on the upper end of offenses of what – that they'll see in the Southeastern Conference and probably not even like the top 10 or 11. I just very much have my doubts about Diamond's ability to get outs at the rate at which you need to acquire outs on Friday nights in the SEC to be successful. Because as good as this offense is, they're going to face some really good arms. And being down six, like, I guess I, a, an opponent putting up a six spot through five innings, it was Ole Miss was able to climb out of it against UCF. But I'm curious – like, I guess I have my doubts about their ability to climb out of that consistently on Friday nights in the SEC against better pitching, if that makes sense. Like, he was close, but no cigar is the way I'll sum that up. So, let me I'm, – I'm, I'm going to even skip SEC play. Do you remember when Ole Miss hosted the regional last year and the great debate was, should you hold Doug against Southeast Missouri? Should you throw Diamond? Do you remember what Mike's rationale for throwing Derek Diamond was? And I'm going somewhere with this. But do you remember what his, his rationale was? I don't know. I remember our rationale was, hey, if you can't beat SEMO with Derek Diamond, you don't deserve to win the regional. So, what was his? 
the the way Mike phrased it was essentially that it's not about going one and oh, it's about going two and oh, right? Okay, okay. Um, here's my question to you If a regional started today, is Derek Diamond the best option on this team to get Ole Miss to two and oh, or hell, even one and oh? I think if you had emphatic no right now, he's not. So, how do you justify putting him on Friday night? I, I, I'm not saying that he'd rip the kid off Friday night. I don't know what that does from a confidence standpoint. I don't know if someone is ready for that role. They're probably not. I just know that unless he gets a lot better, he is not the guy that you want to run on out. He, he's not the guy right now today that you want to run out there on a Friday night or a Saturday night in the regional. Um, and if he's not that guy today, then he's either got to become that guy or he's got to either move to Sunday or to the bullpen. Um, so it, it's to me, it's it's not even like can Derek Diamond do this? It's at his current state. No, he can't. He has to continue to get better if he's going to be Ole Miss's Friday night guy. Like I don't think what he has provided the first three weeks is sustainable to be their Friday night guy. I think at some point he's going to either a get better, um, pitch pitch more confidently, perform when there's guys on base, or be he's going to either be your Sunday guy or long relief option the bullpen I don't I don't really think there's much gray area with that is there and that's that's it's such a fascinating storyline and we knew this would be this one of the more fascinating storylines coming into the year and I have a couple of things I'm going to throw at you after you mention that because so one after I'm like I put out that tweet or whatever where it's like we've reached the great diamond inflection point right he got to the fifth and he was damn close to getting out of the fifth but he didn't do it, and they put up four runs. And now, look, if if the if, if a similar scenario plays out opening weekend against Auburn and he gets a couple of pop-ups and then now all of a sudden he's cobbled together five and two-thirds of two-run ball, of course that's good enough, right? Like, it's baseball, yeah. right? There's margin of error, and sometimes this happens. But I lean in the camp that you are, and I thought, as I put out that tweet, Bennett Hip, who made a really interesting point from the standpoint where I think he phrased it was – I feel like we all know the answer is no, but Ole Miss needs to officially confirm it. And I thought that was just kind right. of a very poignant way to put that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so is some of it that you got to do right by the kid. Like you, you brought him here to be your Friday night guy and he's got to prove that he's not your Friday night guy before you don't let him be your Friday night guy. And this is the first hiccup, right? Like he done nothing to this point to make you suggest that even though there were some minor shaky things in the first couple of starts, but he had done nothing to disprove that to this point this year. Absolutely not. And I'll tell you this, I think next Friday night, because I fully expect him to start on Friday night against um, Oral Roberts. And against Auburn, if we're being honest. I'll say Will Roberts because if Friday night goes terribly, I, I don't know if I expect that anymore. Okay, but that's, that's but do you expect Friday night to go terribly against Will Roberts? I guess is my main point. No, but I do I do want to see Derek battle back from a bad outing. I'm not even bad; it just wasn't very good. Um, kind of kind of mediocre. I, I want to see him battle back and show some mental toughness and 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 perform. Um, and if he does that, I think he'll get the Friday the ball against Auburn on Friday night to start SEC play. Um, and then you just kind of go from there. Um, the problem is, man, it's just – if he's not the Friday guy, my question to you is then who is? Because I, I don't think it's either guy that's currently in the rotation. So how do you kind of manage and get somebody ready for that? I know. And, like – 
So on like, the dynamic, let me be clear. Gaddis was great. I don't think you want to get him off the role he's currently in. It's the Doug Nikhazy. It's the Doug Nikhazy theory. I don't even know if it's yeah. a theory. Do you remember? So we can go back to this in a second. I actually had this written down to get to. You know, Doug Nikhazy started last year as the Friday guy. And, like, literally yeah. the only time he looked human was a couple of those Friday starts. And one of them against, was against UCF. Remember he gave up yeah. the home run and they lost the game. There's something different. And, you know, if anyone cared enough, which is not your boy over here, but we thought about it, like, like polling SEC coaches to get their thoughts on, like, what's different about Friday nights in the SEC from a pitcher standpoint, it would be a fascinating study to see what they said because there is just something different about it, right? Like, some dudes just kind of fit really well in a Saturday role. And to what we've seen from Gaddis, who was absolutely terrific, as, you're, as you made the point, he seems like a – right, he's, he's not going to overwhelm you with velocity. He's a veteran guy that knows how to get dudes out, throws a ton of strikes, and kind of knows exactly what he is. That's different on Fridays, I, and I don't know even know how to articulate it. Like I don't either. Than that, it just it, it fits on Saturday. So I'm with you on him not moving to Friday unless you have to. So then the question becomes: Who is your Friday guy? Uh, if it, it's not Derek Dom, who didn't pitch this weekend? You mentioned that. Who didn't touch the bullpen? Jack Doherty. Doesn't it feel like I, it might trend that way? That's just me uh, spitballing. So, and, and this is this is a dumb argument because we both expect um, Derek Diamond to start on Friday night against Oral Roberts. I think if I had to put someone on Friday night that was not Derek Diamond, you know, the, the two options are Brandon Johnson and Jack Doherty, and this is just me being the idiot that I am, I think I'd put Brandon Johnson. If I'm going to say, hey, i got to have an elite arm on Friday night, well, I'm going to put the cat that throws 95, and we'll see what happens. Um, but – you know, I can make a case for Doherty just as well. That's probably just my preference. Okay. So, I won't disagree on – like necessarily disagree on that sense. My – I would go Doherty just because, one, he has started a game before. And, honestly, Brandon Johnson – I have here's a nice theory for you. He has, like, a reliever closer eyeballs. He just looks like he wants to kill but someone. I'll go there. No, no. He – uh so watching He's him work – The entire time. And, and it's kind of like what Washburn needs to get rid of a little bit, right? Well, all right, and, and, and I just thought of something that maybe make much make me yeah maybe makes me change my mind because um, I was gonna say watching him throw in Hoover last year was really fun yeah um, because you know he just got the ball and he was ready to go and he's gonna throw ninety six at you and then I remembered he threw on Tuesday Thursday and Friday um, excuse me Tuesday Wednesday and Friday in the I believe in the SEC tournament and uh, no it's Tuesday Thursday Friday and he's got a resilient arm. You probably want that more over the course of a weekend than you do, um, you know, than you do starting. So um, probably now, now that I've talked myself out of that, I'm probably, probably would, you know, if they had to do something else, I'd probably convince myself that it is Doherty. Um, Hey, you just talked yourself out of a take. I do that four times a day, (laughs) but no, I look, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it, cause I don't know. And what's, here's what sucks about this. If Derek gets through next weekend, right, and Derek, Derek, you know, gives you six innings and gives up two runs against an inferior Oral Roberts team, what sucks is either we're going to be wrong and he's going to be the Friday night guy, and frankly, that's the best-case scenario for Ole Miss. I would, I would be glad to be wrong on that. The second option is if he's not going to be your Friday night guy, at some point he's going to have to blow up and cost you a game, and you don't want to see that either. 
Um, that so feels like where this is headed, though, right? Because I think you just nailed it there. Like, it's honestly where one of those where if it because if he gets through or Roberts, let's you can be completely honest. Honestly, it goes back to your uh, it goes back to your regional scenario. If Ole Miss had to play game one of a regional today, is he your best option? We both emphatically, from what we've seen so far, answered no. Wouldn't you rather put Jack Doherty? Like, if Ole Miss was playing a regional today, wouldn't mm-hmm. kind of their most potent setup be Doherty Gaddis? Yes. And so, so, so with that being true, I agree with you that because I think he gets through Oral Roberts. I, I will say this about Oral Roberts. Roberts: they are usually the four seed in someone's regional, and two years ago they beat Arkansas in a regional. Um, past right. that, that's all I've got. Hey, good for them. Good for Oral Roberts, but I expect Derek Diamond to get through that one. Yes, I do too. And so he's going to get the opportunity at Auburn. And so I think you nailed it with he's going to blow up and cost you a game at some point. Or he's not. But what if it's a Friday UCF game? What if it's it's not great, but the offense kind of bailed his ass out? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it kind of becomes a question of does Mike have the cojones to make a move where, you know, Ole Miss wins the game despite Dom not being great? And I would actually argue, yes, he does. Like, that I would, would be a possible case scenario. But it feels like we're headed to a conclusion that we already know. And we're, like I say we, Ole Miss is just kind of hoping to be proven wrong. So Ole Miss won a game last year um, against LSU um, on a Saturday where they started Drew McDaniel. And they went to A and M the next weekend, and, I, and this is where I'm kind of going with, with would Mike have the stones to make that move? They went to A and M the next weekend, and they went Hoagland, Nikhazy, TBA. Everything that I have heard is that they had planned on starting Diamond if they did not have to use him in relief because McDaniel was really bad the previous Saturday against LSU. Fortunately for Ole Miss, that went to hell because Gunner gets hurt, all that. So yeah, I don't think just Ole Miss, you know bailing them out winning a game would change that I think I think he would be able to make that move um it'll be interesting it's it I hope it doesn't get to that point I hope this was a a, a one-off from from uh Diamond but you know we'll have to see the the history worries you a little bit right it's like he he's never this is the thing he's never given you really the outing outside of Texas um, the first start of last year that shows you, hey, this kid's really, really good and is going to be able to be your Friday guy. Like, he's never shown that to me. Um, so, he doesn't have the capital where, where you know, he stays in there, you know, regardless. Kind of, It's kind of like a weird situation. Like, Elko right now is hitting 205, but everybody knows what Tim Elko is doing. So, Elko is going to keep grabbing his glove and hitting in the three spot. Um, Derek Diamond doesn't have that capital built up where he can have, you know, a bad outing or two and stay in the Friday night spot. Yeah, and you talk about, like, slim margin for errors. Like, the way the fifth inning played out, he loses the Jostin or Yostin. I can't remember how the announcers pronounce that. Honestly, I wouldn't actually trust them with the phonetic pronunciation of anyone. On a 3-2 count, he gives up a walk, but then he gets a pop-out and a strikeout, and you're like, okay, like, okay, he's going to get through this. Like, And then he gives up a single in a 1-2 count in which he was ahead, and then he throws a ball, and then he threw just an absolute hanger over the middle of the plate that the Romano guy put into, you know, Cape Canaveral. And so, like, he was so close. You know what I mean? Like, and that's – feel like that's a lot of Diamond's story. And to his credit, a couple of times when things had gotten shaky earlier in the year, he'd been able to mitigate the damage to one run. And one of those – a couple of those examples were the first and second inning on Friday night 
where his defense didn't help him out a ton in one of those innings. I can't remember if it was the first or the second, but hey, he didn't turn it into a gigantic inning. And then he's almost out of the third, and then all of a sudden, it's single two pitches later. Okay, now you're down, you know, five to three or whatever because he left one over the plate. Like, it was so close, but it didn't happen. But I honestly, I feel like that's a lot of times the difference in Friday nights in the SEC. Like, you have to make that happen. You can't afford to lose a guy where you give up a single and a one-two count, and then a dude knocks one, you know, 480 feet. Like, those three runs matter way more than they do at any point other in the weekend, right? Like, the margin for error is slimmer, and he just hasn't been able to overcome that consistently enough. No, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, It's just going to be interesting, man. Like I said, I fully expect he starts Friday against Oral Roberts. Anything else will be a shock. Um, So, it's just going to be something. Like, if we're calling it a spade a spade here, I don't think, I don't know if that necessarily happens, but doesn't, don't you just get that sense? That what? That fourth weekend or third weekend in April, who's starting on Friday nights for Ole Miss? Jack Gordy. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at. And so, look, we got a, it, not a lot of time to get there. But so and but here's my next question. If that happens, Derek Diamond, your Sunday guy? Because what he gives you is good enough on Sunday, right? Like, Very much so. McDaniel's giving you two and three and three, and it's just like, yeah, he's got a two ERA, but like, I, like honest to God, when I when I went and looked at the stats today and it said McDaniel has a two ERA, I'm like, how? <laughs> I, I don't I don't get it. But I mean, I, I understand the math; that's how it works. But like, okay, um, so it's kind of interesting. It's like you're watching a guy on Friday, and he'd be really good and, and be efficient for you on Saturday or excuse me, on Sunday if he's, you know, giving up four runs in five innings with this offense because that's probably going to lead to a win. Um, but on Friday night, it's not good enough. I never um, thought about it the way you put it, though. So, one, the I understand the math, but how does that work? It's story of my life. Could we put that on a shirt? I, I could have used that phrase a thousand times in my life. Like, I get how this happened, but how does that work? Like, I get mathematically how you arrived at the measure. Mostly it's with bar tabs. To where I'm like, hey, I get mathematically how you added me up at this, but how does that work? <laughs> it's like $128. Yeah. Hold on. In this economy? Yeah, I get this receipt is itemized, but can you tell me how that happened? <laughs> <laughs> but you bring up a really interesting point in all seriousness. So the McDaniel thing, we talked about how we can get – like how Ole Miss can get value out of all those guys and kind of shuffle the deck to where they're not eliminating one. But we, I, you know, I just made the point like all roads maybe lead to Doherty with the depth, the newfound depth that Ole Miss has had in the bullpen. Is it the worst thing in the world if one of McDaniel or Diamond fades into not having a major role? Like, I know that's a major thing to say in the second week of March, but just given how these musical chairs might play out, given that they have a couple of freshmen that have looked pretty good, is that the worst thing? Like, I don't think that's a death knell. Not room for everybody, man. I yep. mean, I'm just, there's 27 innings in a weekend. Um, John Gaddis, hopefully, he's going to eat six of them, you know. So, there's 21. If Ole Miss is doing what they should, then Brandon Johnson's going to eat, eat probably at least four. So, that leaves, you know, 17. So, there's only so many innings to go around. Um, you know, and obviously, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get Jack Gordy and Hunter Elliott and Riley Maddox and Mason Nichols and Mitch Morrell and, Derek Diamond and, and Drew McDaniel, all those guys want innings too. It's like there's only 27 in a weekend, fellas. So, um, 
and Jackson Kimbrell and Dylan DeLucia. So, you know, it's it's no. I mean, it, I don't mean to sound, you know, harsh when I say this, but neither of those guys, Drew uh, McDaniel or Derek Diamond, have built up the capital within this program where it's just determined, hey, um, these guys are going to get innings. Whereas, like, like I said with Elko, Elko could go 0 for his next 30. You know what Elko is going to do the next day? Grab a bat and hit. He's going to go hit because that's, he's built up the capital within this program to do it. Now, he's not going 0 for 30 either. But you get you get my point. Like, neither one of those guys are, have put themselves where they've just got to be on the field. Like, for example, um, in, in a different direction, you remember Sam Smith's last year? Like, Sam Smith was really good in 2013 and 2014. And they, by God, tried to figure it out why this kid couldn't get outs anymore and gave him every opportunity to try and figure it out. So they just couldn't do it anymore. Doesn't really feel like that's the situation with either of those guys. They're going to have to perform to stay on the field. Yep, and I have no idea why I remember this, and it's just one of those random-ass beat writer things you remember. Sam Smith had, like, a sports hernia deal. Do you remember this where, like – right. That was kind of blamed for it. That's a that's literally a complete non sequitur. If you were listening to this podcast to get historical nuggets on the 2015 Ole Miss baseball team, boom, pocket that one. <laughs> like, but you saying that just brought made me think of that. So a great way to put a bow on this before we get to some of the more positive sides of what happened this weekend. The non-diamond yeah. Ole Miss pitching staff, and this is how I know we're getting into mid-season mid-season form. You tweeted this and actually put this better than I could, but I'm going to read my long note that I wrote on this stupid notepad. Ole Miss, that was the pitching staff that was non-Derek Diamond, covered 24 and two-thirds innings. They allowed three runs, two earned, 28 strikeouts, 10 walks, and I will give the caveat with the walks, four of those belonged to Brandon Johnson when he had seven strikeouts, and I won't call those inconsequential walks, but some of the a couple of those I was like, man, that's tough. But 14 hits, two earned runs over 24 and two-thirds. Everyone but Derek Diamond, that is the stat for. That'll hunt. Yeah. And what would you, what you put it – sorry, I, I wanted to get yours in there too because yours was more concise. Uh, I'll have to pull it up. But, no, I mean, they uh, they, they, they got arms. Um, here we go. So, <laughs> here we go. After Derek Diamond left yeah. the mound on the weekend, uh, Ole Miss's pitchers were they had a .36 ERA. 0.93 whip, 10.2 strikeouts per nine. UCF hit 169, had an on-base percentage of 250, had a slugging of 193, and an OPS of 443. Um, they simply were – they outmanned UCF. Um, they did, we and that's a great that's a great find in a couple of senses. And on top of what you're talking about, you know, we talked about there's not room for everybody. <laughs> Look, for the uh, a pitching staff that was kind of supposed to be the question mark of this team – is now kind of becoming. Do you trust the kids that are not as known, not as I guess more known commodities versus the one that you've kind of had around for a while, right? Like I guess it feels like they have options more so than like who the hell are they going to have get out? Which I felt like in February. Yeah, and look, I don't think you know either of us are shy about criticizing Mike Bianco, but I think both of us have always fallen into the camp of um, he'll figure out the pitching staff. I think he and it will. Just kind of, and it just kind of feels like he's going to figure out the pitching staff. And maybe he's going to figure it out in a way that um, Ole Miss is going to be pretty good at it um, rather than just, you know, good enough to get by. Um, look, I know last year happened and they didn't develop the depth that they probably needed to, but it's just kind of always felt like Fob's been able to 
to develop a pitching staff, and it kind of seems like he's going to be able to do that again. Right, because in a weird way, last year he deserves a bit of credit for them going as far as they do. And him, and granted, you could argue maybe it's too late, but just kind of doing the thing of we got Doherty, we got Johnson, and if both of them get us to Taylor Broadway, sweet. And if not, hands up. Like, we'll see how this plays out, right? It's like he – I guess he deserves credit for kind of cutting – look, should Josh Mallett have come in last year at Mississippi State? Absolutely not. But I just give Mike a little bit of credit to after that being like, okay, we we got to cut this down. Like, I can't – I can't be defaulting on kids that just throw strikes. Now, getting to more a positive side of how Ole Miss pitched it this weekend, Riley Maddox, Brandon Johnson were terrific. I don't know what you thought of Maddox. I know he gave up the two – he gave up one hit that gave up the diamond inherited run. But that's a kid that entered this game having thrown 48 pitches this season, 39 of them were strikes. And he was a little bit more erratic in this game, I say, from a sheer stat standpoint. But that kid got squeezed on the outside corner repeatedly. I was super impressed with how Maddox came in, and he got four outs for Ole Miss, and they were four important outs to allow Johnson to finish the game. But I guess what I'm getting at is when I watched him pitch to – I think he faced seven total batters. The balls that he threw were outside corner, outside corner breaking ball, outside corner breaking ball over and over again, and that just damn ump was not giving him the call. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but he was not struggling locating. He had a game plan that he executed that I thought just kind of didn't necessarily get rewarded beyond him being just a prep MIS guy. I was super impressed by it because he looked in control the entire time. He's really good. He is he, really good. He's going to be a weekend guy before, um, before he leaves. Yeah. It's, I got dudes um, and credit to, I think I've said this before here, credit to Clem and laugh for, uh, for getting that done because this was not the big money class that, but, but they found some guys that can come in and really, really help. Um, you know, with, with when you talk about Hunter Elliott and Riley Maddox and, and Dylan Delucia and, and Mason Nichols, um, I'll be completely honest. So, I, I, you know, people know that like I, I've been pretty busy with, with basketball and haven't been able to watch a ton. Um, so Mason Nichols threw on Friday night, um, against Charleston Southern and he threw I think in one of the VCU games and and as someone that's not been this plugged in as I usually am like he throws in those games I'm like oh there's getting him some ins like I don't expect him to count for much and then like I look away on Saturday for just a second um, as they're changing pitchers and make Mason Nichols is taking them out and I'm like oh they actually think this kid's going to be really good and then he takes them out and is really good and was completely um, fearless, which I think is yeah, a bigger a intangible thing than anything else. That kid did not give a shit that it was a nothing-nothing game in the 10th inning. And look, does a March game against UCF really matter that much? No, but it's not totally inconsequential. And it's no, the it's not he had ever pitched in. And he didn't care. Like, that, that, that's the thing about Maddox, both Maddox, Nichols, and Elliott, that has, uh, like, been striking to me. They look in control the entire time, and maybe that'll change in SEC play. But you don't always see that. A great way to put it. No, it, it the moment was not too big for him. Um, and that's not the case with every freshman now. Like uh, it, it wasn't the case for the. I mean, frankly, it wasn't the case for the left-hander that wore number twenty-six with the stringy hair and skateboarded all over Oxford for the past okay. three and a half years. It was the case for the kid that just got picked in the first round for by the Blue Jays. Um, so kids are different. And, you know, 
it, it's good to see that they've had three and four freshman relievers and then JUCO newcomers come in and, and be able to pound the strike zone and get the outs that they have. You know what it made me think of? You mentioned the uh, the the KT part of it. So I actually think back to that Louisville series that we both were at in 2019, where Mike yelled at me just because he, you know, he wasn't he wasn't glad I existed that day. Do you remember this? The second that game was that was. That was the weirdest thing I've ever done because, like, I asked Mike two questions and I got, like, decent answers. And then you asked him, like, better questions. And he just looked at you like, why are you here? That is correct. I would say the better questions are debatable. I don't remember what they were. But I just <laughs> asked him questions just like you did. And he was not having it. But do you remember, if you'll remember back to one of those games, Houston Roth got absolutely yeah. blitzkrieged by Louisville in one of those games. And I don't know why my mind went to that, but when you talk about the composure that these true freshmen have, Houston Roth was a very valuable and a very good pitcher for Ole Miss and a very talented kid, and it didn't click for him immediately. And he was, a, like I said, very talented and very good. And now you have three kids that so far, and again, we haven't gotten to SEC play, but like that was a non-conference series against Louisville. Like that wasn't SEC play yet. And these kids just kind of look like all three of them don't like they, they don't look shrunken by the moment. And I guess Houston Roth is an example of the opposite where it kind of took him some time. And I remember him looking kind of clueless at times out there, turned into a really good pitcher for Ole Miss. But these kids have kind of just picked it up from the get go. Yeah. Really good way to put it. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's impressive to watch, man. Cause I'm telling you right now, if you can use those three kids and, and Delucia and, you know, you're able to use either Johnson and Doherty as the, as the closer. I mean, man, that's five good arms right there that I haven't, you know, I hadn't even mentioned, you know, a Jackson Kimbrell or a Wes Burton or anything of, you know, that nature. Um, they got they got dudes, man. And, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see because, like, you look in the bullpen, it's like, oh, they got good – they got really good dudes. And then you look at on, on the mound at, to begin the game and got 14 combined innings from their starters, and one of them was seven innings by – the Saturday guy. Um, so it's like, I, I don't know how you're going to, you know, fix the, the, you know, starting rotation. If it comes to that with, with this bullpen guy and not take a, you know, bite out of your bullpen, but they've sure got options to be able to do it. What did you think of Brandon Johnson? Because so Chase texted me when, um, when he went in or uh, I guess after that game where Mike, so Mike went to him in the seventh and honestly, just the way that Brandon Johnson had been talked about, um, and kind of the way they, I figured they would use him. I just assumed he was finishing the game. At, at that point, my thought was, okay, like Mike's kind of done fooling around with this. Like he hopes he can get nine outs from Johnson, burn him for the weekend. You deal with Doherty tomorrow, and then you just kind of see where you're at on Sunday. Clearly, that's not how that ended up playing out. But I wasn't surprised by any stretch that he lets Johnson get the final nine outs. And we can talk about the eighth inning where he ended up technically walking in a run because he walked four dudes. I don't know how much you watched of that. He got it into an 0-2 or a 1-2 count with three of those dudes in a row and ended up walking in them. And some of them were, were location issues. But also, um, I would just say that the home plate umpire was probably not Joe West. Like, it, it wasn't great on Friday night either. And so, I guess what I'm getting at from that standpoint is, like, it was interesting seeing that from Mike to where – who, quote-unquote, is his closer to where you had to kind of – I guess feel like last year he had to kind of prepare Broadway to throw multiple days to where he felt plenty fine just being like, hey, Johnson, give me 40-something pitches. You're done for the weekend. I feel better about where we're at after that. 
and fine with you kind of being burned for the weekend. I thought that was an interesting move. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it because what he could have done, you know, if, if he didn't trust his bullpen, is like, all right, let me get Brandon to give me two, and I'm going to let Jack close it. I got them both back on Saturday if I need them. Um, but he didn't. He just went ahead and let Johnson throw 64 pitches, and um, they won the game, and, you know, they'll move on and, and do what they got to do the next two days. It's a really good, good and interesting point. Um, cause he's got the bullpen depth to be able to do that. And, and I think that's the thing, right? We're like, what if Ole Miss is up five to four in the seventh inning against Tennessee on a Friday night? And it's like, well, I can throw Brandon Johnson out there and I'm going to feel pretty good that he's going to get nine outs and not give up a run. Um, and we're going to win this baseball game, but he's going to throw 66 pitches and probably not be able to be done. Well, when you got guys like Riley Maddox and Hunter Elliott and Mason Nichols and, and those type of dudes, and Dylan Delucia and Jackson Kimbrell um, and the bullpen that are able to get it done on a consistent basis, you're not so much worried about, you know, having to burn a guy on Friday night. Um, speaking of umpires, by the way. The guy get to was, watch, uh, as we record this on Sunday night, a disgrace. He, he's the worst I have ever seen. I am shocked. No, 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 no. It helped that Ole Miss really got bad. a big lead. I'm shocked Mike didn't get run today. So I asked Mike about that one time, and he basically was like, hey, man, the fine's not worth it. Like, well, he got ran I twice last year. I to that paycheck. He got ran twice last year. He got, he got tossed twice last year? Yeah, against Arkansas, against a and Damn, you're right. But hadn't yeah, it been about a half decade or more since he had gotten tossed from a game before 20, that? 2014, if I remember right. I remember talking to him at LSU in 18 or 17, and it was a complete non sequitur. Like, it wasn't an interview setting. And I was like, why don't you get run more often? And honestly, in the back of my mind, I was like, damn, man, you get very angry with me. How does that not reflect to the guys behind the plate? <laughs> and he was like <laughs> – it's honestly not worth the money. And I was like, honestly, I respect that. Like, that's a, that's a very reasonable way to think about well, just restraining yourself. If there's any, like, OG Ole Miss baseball followers, he used to get run. All the regular. time. <laughs> he used to get run, right, regular. All right, getting this back on the rails, beyond someone getting ejected. Saturday, my God, John Gaddis, if we talked about, you know, I can't remember if you and I were talking about this or it was me and Chase where we thought the pitching staff, the way it would shake out about a weekend of the season, the whole crux was John Gaddis can't suck. Because if John Gaddis sucks, like it kind of throws a wrench in this entire thing. And guess what he did not do on Saturday? He does not suck. He did not suck. He was terrific, man. That was honestly kind of mesmerizing to watch. He scattered four hits. He struck out eight. He went seven innings. He allowed one extra base hit. And he didn't walk a soul. He, I, I don't really know of enough adjectives to describe it. He was terrific. And if you can get some version of that out of him for 12 more Saturdays, you're going to be in a great shape going into the postseason. You need six and three from John Gaddish. You need six innings pitched, three earned runs, and, and he outdid that by a lot on uh, Saturday. Because most Saturdays – you've seen a six, larger sample size for him. How do you view him as a pitcher? Like, what, I know what's your, what's your um, guess, scout MO on him? That's a really good question. I mean, he's a, he's an 88 to 90 guy. It's going to pound the strike zone. He's got three pitches that he throws for strikes. Um, I'm trying to think of a comparison, but I can't really do it right now. Um, I can't do a comparison either. He's a dude, though, that rarely ever makes a fatal mistake, right? When you talk about pitching, they have – like, it's such a small margin for error, but he works in the areas unless the guy makes a very good swing. 
he's never a guy that gives up like the diamond home run in the fifth on Friday night where it was a mistake over the middle of the plate and the kids hit it 400 feet. To me, I don't want to call him a nibbler because I know that's like kind of a cliche, but to me so far, he doesn't make very many fatal mistakes where you're like, oh, that could have been bad. Everybody wants it. You're exactly right, by the way. Um, everybody wants to do the Trent comparison. I get it. It's lefty on Saturday and all that. Like, I don't, when I watch him, I don't necessarily see a whole lot of Christian Trent. Um, like, yeah, both, both guys weren't high velo guys, but like, I felt like Trent pitched backwards a lot more than Gaddis does. I think Gaddis is pretty con- comfortable attacking people with fastballs. Um, you know, so I, I don't necessarily see, you know, too much of, of Trent and Gaddis, but yeah, I think he's really good. Um, for a Saturday guy in the SEC, I think he's going to be the guy that has a 3.5 SEC ERA and gives you a really good chance to win every Saturday. Frankly, I'll say this. Um, I don't think either of us expect Ole Miss to be dominant on Friday nights as far as record goes in the SEC. He's the guy that's good enough to let you go 8-2 and two on Saturdays, and I think Ole Miss is going to be great on Sundays. I think, I think Ole Miss is an is a 8-2, and 9-1 and one team on Sundays just because, man, if you're going to get into monster, you know, home run derby like I'll take the revs pretty much every time in that one yep I'm with you on that I mean I I don't even really know much else to say about you know what's like a really good sign for this team that Tim Elko and Kevin Graham don't do much of anything I know Elko had the big home run on uh Friday but outside of that neither one of them do much of anything and like they just won a weekend series on the road against a decent team you know like, like neither one of them would I think could say they played particularly well over the weekend. Uh, I know Graham obviously didn't play on Sunday, but that's part of it. Like they didn't get much of anything from those guys outside of Elko's home run, and they just won a series on the road in their first road trip against a quality opponent. John Gaddis has not walked a hitter in his last ten innings. Do you, was that that's, okay? That's about right. That'll be fine. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the thing when he came out of Corpus Christi was he didn't walk people. And you you look at it, it's like, well, the the first start he's probably nervous and amped up, and now that he's settled in, it's probably just that he doesn't walk people. Strike after strike after strike. I think that's a, uh, I think that's a great sign for Ole Miss. But on top of that, it's a, it's a great point that you made talking about kind of like where they're at on Saturdays, you know, what their record could potentially be on Sundays. Man, if they could figure out – so that's kind of where I go back to, and I don't want to go back into the the diamond um, the diamond Doherty thing because we've already covered that. But man, if they figure out like something on Friday, I guess it's kind of like you're in a pretty solid spot here. And I think that was the biggest storyline of this weekend, right? Because we talked about Mason Nichols earlier. He was terrific. He pitched two and a third innings of one, uh, one hit hit excuse me, I was about to say hitless relief. One hit, scoreless relief, no walks, struck out three, filled up the zone. I mean, he threw 19 pitches, 15 were strikes. He went right at kids and gave Ole Miss a chance to win in a game that really Ole Miss didn't deserve to win, right? Like, the way they their approach at the plate was Saturday, my whole thing was like, hey, they're going to – like, maybe they'll steal this. But from the eighth inning on, I was like, these guys don't deserve to win this game. They might. And, you know, that's kind of the sign of an elite team. Mason Nichols gave them a chance after Gaddis because Gaddis was so good when he left and Ole Miss kind of went scoreless in the top of the eighth or whatever. I was like, oh, this isn't going to end well. And Nichols kind of changed that, right? Like he Nichols held them down and gave them a chance in a game they really didn't deserve to have. No, they didn't deserve it. They played like crap. And, and oh, they were terrible offensively. And I think that's the sign of a good team. It's, and I don't know they didn't win the game, but sometimes you play like crap and you give yourself an opportunity still to win the game. 
Um, good teams are able to win baseball games a lot of different ways. Um, and now, look, Cole Miss has won baseball games so far because they bludgeoned people. But they were right there to win a pitcher's duel on Saturday. Um, and the offense just couldn't get a big hit at the right time. Um, and it's – I look, I thought Ole Miss was going to sweep this weekend. I was off by game. I'm, I'm you know, uh, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm not going to lie. But I, I, I came away really, really encouraged by how this team played. Now, we should – I think we're an hour and ten minutes into this. We should probably mention this. Um, Kevin Graham, like, is you think he's good or, like um, – or is there reason to worry that he's not going to be there when they play Auburn in two weeks? So Kevin Graham doesn't show up in the lineup on Sunday, right? And I'm about to have a stroke at this point, by the way. Like, when I see the lineup, I'm like, what is he doing? Well, so he <laughs> did it bat in the tent to where he hit the chopper to the kid and the third baseman for UCF made a wild throw that pulled him off the bag. And Graham didn't slide. But right. it felt like he, like, kind of, like, thought about sliding and then he went over the base and he kind of tripped and he fell – and I texted you, like, I was like, do you see him grabbing his shoulder, which was not right. Like, I did, he didn't end up grabbing his shoulder, and that wasn't the deal. But something when he got back up, like, didn't look completely right. And I was kind of like, okay, I'll file that away for a second. He stayed in the game on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. But I was kind of like, something didn't look right there. And then, of course, he was out of the line today. Um, as Chase Parham has reported at rebelgrev.com, it's a jammed wrist. Again, you talk about, like, what if he's not there at Auburn? I really have no idea. Like, I don't know what a jam risk consists of. I've read that Chase put something on the board and, again, subscribe to RebelToGrab.com. I don't want to be giving away exclusive information here, but, like, they don't necessarily seem to know yet. I think he will be okay, but, you know, who knows? But I guess if you want to put a positive spin on that, they went out and scored nine runs without arguably their best hitter. So yeah. No, I mean, I don't. He's not. He's not replaceable because, he, like you said, he's, he's been their best. Replaceable, but I don't think that's a season ender. Can we put it that way? Like, no, no, be okay. No, Kevin Cram would no. If just with this injury, I assure you, when they roll into Hoover and they host their regional, um, he will. He will be. Uh, he will be in the lineup unless something else happens. This is not a season ender by any stretch of imagination. When you initially said shoulder, that concerned me more than wrist. And I was, again, I was just guessing. But, like, yeah, I showed right. you that clip. I was kind of like, oh, he's, like, kind of tugging at the arm. Like, something yeah. seems off. And then he fell on his shoulder. But when you heard the wrist thing, like, it made sense, right, the way he braced the fall on that right wrist. Yeah. So, um, I think he'll be fine. I, you know, I'm not going to be shocked if he has to miss, you know, two to three weeks or whatever. I'm not going to be shocked if he's in the lineup on Tuesday night. So, just kind of don't know. It's kind of one of those weights. I, I probably actually will be a little shocked if he's in the lineup on Tuesday night. I would um, bet he does not play again before Auburn. Thoughts? There's no reason to. Yeah. Like, I, I, you could convince me maybe he plays the, the midweek game if he's good at, at Southeastern Louisiana. Um, by the way, that's a crappy spring break. Like, I'd rather just be – and I know Ole Miss doesn't get to pick their SEC schedule, but – you have to go to Hammond, Louisiana on a Tuesday night and then have to go uh, to Auburn like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to open up SEC play all over your spring break. I would just – if I was them, I'd, I'd rather be in Oxford. Um, but, Plenty of yeah. fast food options about those towns, so they'll eat well. Have you been to Hammond? Yes, I have. Oh, really? Did, yeah, did they, got a great, they got a great uh, fast food selection there on that first exit. <laughs> I think I went to Steeloff for one of those games one year. I can't – maybe I'm making that really? up. I went to a couple of Louisiana uh, stadiums where I was like, I don't exactly, like, remember what this is. But uh, it wasn't was a nice 
so this is how big of a nerd and how like you know that your brain can only process um like so many facts and remember so many things like you know there's like a finite number of things that your brain can actually remember right i try to defy those odds every day but yes so so the the fact that i know that Ole Miss went to southeastern louisiana in 2014 and won two games and the second <laughs> one was a two to zero score like that's probably not good for the amount of things that i can remember um but i do remember that they went down there in 2014 so see i actually won a game in Fayetteville this weekend too so that may be a midweek challenge but no i i I, I, it's going to be interesting. I don't expect he'll play in the midweek. Probably not going to play this weekend. So I think the the interesting thing to see, does he play the midweek game before, before Auburn? Of course, you know, it'll come out probably tomorrow if, if it's broken or not. So um, if it's broken, he's going to be out a lot longer, obviously. Yeah. We'll see how that, how that goes. I thought it was, again, like, a, you know, a pretty good sign for Ole Miss to however long they will be without Kevin Graham, you know, it could be a couple of weeks. It could be in a bit more severe, but, you know, they didn't miss a beat, and I thought that was a uh, – they didn't miss a beat today. And they – talk about wearing down a pitching staff. I know you hit a, a hit at the top of the show. They wore down that Sunday, kid. Like, he yeah. odd, and he threw a couple of good pitches. But, man, when he hit that the second time through the order on that club, it was game over. And I think that's what – like that's. I thought that was a very telling example of what this offense could potentially do to Sunday pitching. Like, like to me – the Saturday game aside, I thought the Friday game was telling of how Friday nights could go for Ole Miss, and I thought the Sunday game was actually fairly telling for how uh, Sundays could go for Ole Miss. Results aside, like not just because they won both games, but that played out kind of how I thought some of these SEC games might play out. I, that may be kind of out there. Does that make any sense? Like the way something like the Friday game did with Derek struggling a little bit and then Ole Miss just obliterated Sunday pitching, I was like, this kind of makes sense. Like this is kind of what I thought this team might be. Yeah. I mean, it's just – I mean, they, they were exactly who I thought they'd be outside of they're better than the bullpen in the bullpen than I thought they'd be. Um, That's kind of so. what I take away from this as well, right? Like, the the one surprise so far is they are better in the pen than I figured they'd be. And I know it's early, and I know people are going to say, hey, we, we saw last year at Texas. I get it. Man, they, these freshmen look the part. Um, and it looks like another thing that looks like is the case is Mike is willing to develop them and throw them in big situations because – I, and I know we talked about this, but I go back to the, the, the Saturday game. It's been real easy to just trot Jack Doherty out there. Um, but you know what Jack Doherty can do in that situation. You don't know what Mason Nichols and Hunter Elliott can do in that situation. But we found out this weekend. Um, so, so kudos to them for, for making damn sure that when June rolls around, those guys have been in those situations. Let's hit the Sunday pitching part of it before we get out of here because I know we got a lot to get to and I know you got to run in a second. But what did you think, like, I don't know. I thought the Drew McJano thing was just kind of, eh, okay. Like, he wasn't terrible. I mean, so kudos to Mike for having a quick hook, not not letting it get blown up when you've got bullpen options. Um, it's tough, right? Because I can argue that Drew McDaniel provides exactly what you need on Sunday. Um, and I think that's really his only role. I don't think he's a bullpen guy, man. I really don't. I know it he had could have still been the case had Mike not quick took him, by the way. Like I, I, I agree. I think it was right, but like he wasn't he hadn't blown up by that point, I guess is what I'll point out. No, he hadn't. Um I don't know. It's it's tough because a lot of what you what the answer is on Sunday is well, what's the answer on Friday? It's kind of codependent on that. Um I don't know. It's I think if I think 
I think Derek Diamond is probably the better weekend option. Um, so if he's not the Friday guy, well, then you have to ask yourself, is he, is he, is it better for him to move to Sunday? Um, it's, it's just tough because I, I, like I said, Drew has a two ERA, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, willing to say, Hey, he needs to come off Sunday. Um, but man, just for whatever reason, and this is probably not fair to the kid, whatever reason, his outings feel like a root canal. Um, it does. And it doesn't look great either. No, it, it just feels like a root canal. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think that's my answer for Sunday right now. Is I, I don't know what, you know, what that's going to be. Obviously, McDaniel will start next Sunday if, you know, unless something wild happens. And I would ex- expect that he starts the Sunday at Auburn. But it just kind of feels like, you know, it, like it does with Derek Diamond on Friday. It kind of feels like, you know, there's an inevitability to this. It kind of feels like that way on Sunday, too. Right. Man, you encapsulated the last part of that better than I could have possibly. But, like, let's just get right to it right now because I don't want to belabor the point. Look, Drew McDaniel is what he is. I thought he was okay. I thought him not blowing up when – look, I, I'm not going to about to shit on Kemp Alderman, but, like, he dropped about the most routine five ball you've ever seen. Like you watch – you know what I mean? And he yeah. didn't blow up after that. And I thought he actually showed some stones to strike out the next kid or next two kids or whatever it was to get out of that. But you're right. Drew McDaniel, like, I think it's a great way to put it. It kind of looks like a root canal. And that doesn't mean it's always bad. But, man, let's just get to the – after him, Jackson Kimball was pretty awesome. They put Jackson Kimball in. Was that bases loaded or first and second when two out or, two, or one out? I think he it was, yeah. the ground ball. And I was like, okay, maybe that was a little bit of luck. He was awesome the entire time he was there. What did you think about Kimbrough this weekend? Really, really good. Um, provide you another lefty option. Um, was in the strike zone, competed. Didn't you think that was a kid that lacked confidence last year too? That felt big for his confidence. Yeah, but there were some signs with Jackson, right? Um, you know, he has the game against Vanderbilt where, like, nobody can get anybody out. And he comes in against Vanderbilt and he gets seven outs. And Ole Miss is able to yep. extend the lead the game's over. Um, Jackson has always been a guy that can, can can get guys out. He was really pretty good in the COVID year in 2020. Um, so, if he's in the zone, he's good. But he doesn't – He you know, Brandon Johnson is able to walk four people in an, in an inning and, and not have it blow up on him because he throws 98. Well, well 96. But – you know, Kimbrell's the guy that's 86 to 89. Like, he's not able to do that. So, he's got to be in the strike zone. And to his credit, he was. Um, he had a brief outing against UL Monroe where he's in the strike zone. It looked good. And, and frankly, Ole Miss needs him to be good. That's that's the thing is Mike going to him in that situation. Um, that tells me what I need to know about what Mike Bianco thinks of Jackson Kimbrell. And that is he thinks Jackson Kimbrell can help this team. And I think he's right. Um, you know, so – that 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 tells me kind of what I need to know about him and and Jackson to his credit performed and performed well and I can tell you something else it tells me what he thinks about Dylan Delucia too really good outing after you know two not great outings for him they think he can help fastball's got real life I'm interested to see the rap soda numbers on it um real real life so um and I think he threw pretty hard obviously there wasn't a gun there this weekend but I was able to throw the stru- the curveball and the strike zone is more of a slider, but yeah, I, I think I think Dylan Delush is going to help Ole Miss, and and that's what I'm saying. Like we keep saying, I think this guy's going to help Ole Miss, and they might, but like twenty seven innings, twenty seven innings. It's only so many innings that can go around. So uh, some guys are probably going to. I mean, 
it's kind of the offensive thing when we talked about Alderman and, and, and Burford and, and Leatherwood and Van Cleve and Harris. It's like when they're all hitting well, someone's going to either fall off or they're going to have to just pitch outside of their mind to be able to get these innings. So um, it's a good problem to have, that's for sure. It's bizarre that the two biggest question marks regarding this pitching staff are the returners. And that they reside on – exactly, on top of that, and the fact that they reside on Friday and Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've never – and, again, I'm only, like, seven, eight years deep into this, like, covering the team. But, like, I've never covered a team like that to where it's like, yeah, this bullpen's awesome, but I have no idea who's going to pitch on Friday or Sunday. Like, it's a very unique proposition in that sense. So, it's like, I like, I think I know what's going to happen. And – Again, as we as we get into that, and I think Kimbrell and Delucia are a pretty good segue. Look, they provided what is that six and two thirds innings after New McDaniel left, and no one scored a run. Does that not yeah. give you more like more pause and like more? I guess, I guess like move the needle in the direction of starting Doherty. Like again, you you take Doherty out of the bullpen and you worry about how you can get outs after that. But man. If you have those freshman kids that we just talked about, the MIS trio, maybe we could print T-shirts for that. On top of what Kimbrell and Delucia did today, does that not kind of steer you toward the fact that, like, okay, maybe it's okay that I put Doherty in the rotation? Yeah, Again, exactly. There's not spots for everybody. That's exactly what it, where it steers you towards. Now, I'm curious. Who, all right, so, Riley Maddox, um, Mason Nichols, and who's the other MIS guy? Oh, damn it. There's a trio. There's three. Who's the – I meant the trio of freshmen. I tried oh, okay. to Hunter Elliott, the MIS kid, but you uh, snuffed me out. Okay. No, no. I, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I was trying to think who the third one was. Seriously. No, it's not being a jerk. I mean, I was going <laughs> to lie and pump up the MIS's <laughs> ego, but, you know, my check, my check will be in the mail next week. In the mail next week. No, but to your point, it's two MIS sure. kids and Hunter Elliott is what I meant. Right. Um, Tupelo have an MIS school? Could we get Yeah, uh, Tupelo Christian. Okay, in my mind, Hunter Elliott went to two pro <laughs> but they play they play MHSA ball. Okay, never mind. See, never mind. So, damn it! <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Hunter Elliott and a Casey Junior in the MIS before the uh, the year's over. If you just keep saying it, it'll it'll be true. exactly. I'll speak it into existence. <laughs> By the end, they'll be like, "Hey, that kid pitched your prep." Actually, he's at two pro. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't. Even My realize. buddy that coached at Warren Central that he that he kicked the crap out of would really like him to have pitched at prep. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, look, they've got they got freshmen, they've got you know guys in Morell and, and Delusia that are older guys that you know that, that have been able to perform. They got a guy in Kimball that's been in the program for a long time, and then obviously the Johnson and uh, Doherty. Um, just I don't know. There's not enough you can say about it that, that they're really, really good and really, really deep in the pen, and you just kind of hope it continues to work out because, you know, you look around and, and, and people are going to take this the wrong way and think I'm making fun of Mississippi State, and I'm not. Not everybody else has had the same success out of the yep. bullpen that Ole Miss has had. Um, you know, whether that's Arkansas, whether that's Mississippi State, whether it's Texas A&M or whatever, it's really good sign that Ole Miss had because I do think I do think this 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 league is really really. Um, not now. Let me rephrase. This league is not does not have the arms that it usually does. So if you're able to pitch it at a high level, I think you're going to be in really really good shape in the current landscape of the SEC. It's going to be fascinating, right? Because so that that probably gets us into the Kevin Graham part of this. 
Kevin Graham went out today, and they didn't really miss a beat from a lineup standpoint, right? Um, Alderman, uh, Reagan Burford had three hits. Alderman had a good day. Like, it's Calvin Harris, again, a day after going over five, and it's incredible, incredible content pushing that we skipped over the Van Cleve bunt. But, you know, Kemp Alderman and Calvin Harris have done nothing to disprove that they shouldn't be in the lineup every day. We talked about the depth being a good problem to have. It's starting to get tested because you have guys getting minor nicks and bruises, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dunhurst missed two weeks and nobody – I mean, you noticed it defensively. Um, I can't remember – or I don't know because it was in a group message. I did see that – I don't I – don't, honest to God, I don't remember what website it was on, but someone was saying that Dunhurst shouldn't play over Harris. I'm like, buddy. <laughs> Harris, <laughs> Dunhurst shut down an entire inning in that one nothing loss. Do you remember that one inning where he was like, actually, no, you will not score this inning? <laughs> I remember the – I think it was the ninth where the kid gets on, like uh, he's the leadoff hitter and he gets on and they're like, he might run. I'm like, please, dude, please go ahead. So he threw it out. He had a pitch frame, and then he caught a foul ball in foul territory. So literally, single handed, he was like, "Actually, no, you will not be doing anything this inning." So by himself, uh, yeah, Hayden Dunhurst. And look, Ole Miss is lucky because he's actually a good hitter. Hayden Dunhurst could hit one thirty, and he would play every single day. It really is unbelievable. (laughs) And what's crazy to me, and look, I'm no MLB scout, but like, he's the twenty seventh prospect. Be the, he'd be like my fifth. Absurd, man. He is he is really, really absurd. Um, so good weekend for Ole Miss for sure. That's uh that's about as you know, look, obviously you want to win all three games, but I think that's a series that you look back in May, man, and it's like, hey, you got two top fifty wins over a program in the UCF that's really gonna bolster your resume when it's time to talk about national seeds and seeding. All right, I know you gotta get out of here. I appreciate the time as always, my man. This is uh, college baseball getting fully cranked up. I can't wait for the SEC play. We'll talk to you next week. All right, my man. Sounds good. All right. That was Colin Brister. That is not the end of the show. Um, we, I will stay here, as I mentioned at the top, and we'll get a couple of these thoughts that Mike Bianco, based on the news Mike Bianco broke on Sports Talk Mississippi, uh, the first of them being that Kevin Graham will be out four to six weeks with a fractured wrist. He's going to get surgery done. Um, I don't know why I keep saying four to six. I had heard some scuttlebutt about that before this became public. He said four weeks. Timeline is four weeks. So, excuse me there. Um, but anyway, uh, Kevin Graham going to get surgery, be out about a month. Look, this is – I mean, there's really no other way around this. This is a tough loss for Ole Miss because he's going to miss, miss based on that timeline, at least the first two series of SEC play and potentially a third. So, not great, but it could be worse. I mean, I'm really just stating the obvious here. I think all of you probably ran through the kind of same cycle of thoughts in your head regarding the how this affects the team. Like, yes, not great, but could be worse. You know, if this happened in May, it's essentially ending ending his year or, you know, significantly affecting how Ole Miss is going to enter the postseason. But, you know, again, pretty decent timing in that regard. Could have been worse. And I think it's probably an encouraging sign that Ole Miss – so he was out of the lineup on Sunday, and Ole Miss didn't really miss a beat offensively. They really overwhelmed – I don't even remember that kid's name that started for UCF on Sunday, but really wore him down and didn't miss a beat. I mean, they scored nine runs. It wasn't really competitive, pounded out 15 hits. I think they stranded 11 runners despite all of that, which is kind of wild to think about. And they made Hunter Pattinson, I think was his name. Um 
really work. I mean, they got through 83, 85 pitches in three and two-thirds innings and gave up four runs on seven hits and honestly just looked exhausted walking back to the dugout after he did that. So if there's a team – this was what we talked about with the depth part of it where we spent so much time talking about how how is Mike Bianco going to get all of these guys at bats? How is he going to rotate Ben Van Cleve, Kemp Alderman, Hayden Leatherwood? Calvin Harris has done nothing to deter – anyone from thinking that he shouldn't be in the mix for everyday playing time, despite Hayden Dunhurst clearly being the everyday catcher. But the way Calvin Harris is hit, like he's, he's gotta be, you can't really take him out of the lineup. I know he had a tough day on Saturday, but hell who didn't have a tough day on Saturday for Ole Miss. So, you know, we spent so much time focusing on that. This team's odds of them remaining hundred percent healthy over a 56 game season are not great. I mean, they already, it's already been proven untrue. Like it didn't happen, right? You miss Hayden Dunhurst for a couple weeks and, the offense didn't really miss a beat. Now Kevin Graham's out, who was – given statistics-wise, I'm not talking about just in general on paper, but so far this season, one of the top two hitters, if not the best hitter on the team. And so it's – it's now you saw Alderman slide over to left field, and I imagine there's a couple of different ways Ole Miss can finagle this for the time being from a sheer roster – not roster, lineup and alignment standpoint. But this offense has the depth and this team has the depth to overcome Kevin Graham being out for four weeks. Is Ole Miss a better team with Kevin Graham in the lineup? Of course, but I think they could be okay. And another advantage you're going to get from this was something that Colin and I had talked about in the preseason on a couple of these pods. That Ole Miss is introductory, like inter, I say introductory, waiting into SEC play. The first three weekends are not as challenging as they could be, right? You get Auburn, who you think is going to finish near the bottom of the West. You get a home series against Tennessee, and then you go to Kentucky, who's certainly going to finish either last or next to last in the East, and then Alabama at home. That's hardly a murderer's row to start. Most of Ole Miss's tougher series come at the end of April and toward the start of May, um, with starting with, honestly, that double-decker weekend against Mississippi State, because then they go State at Arkansas, Missouri sandwiched in between at LSU and A&M the end of the year. So Ole Miss's toughest series will presumably be when Kevin Graham gets back. Again, wouldn't prefer to him wouldn't prefer him to miss any time, but they they have some wiggle room there. So that's I don't really have enough anything else to add regarding the Kevin Graham injury. It sucks for the dude, uh, kid. As I outlined, as you heard in Colin and I's conversation, as soon as that play happened on the wild throw, something about him getting up and the way he looked in the dugout, even though he didn't really like shake his hand or his shoulder or anything, it didn't look did, something didn't look right. And again, this is the result of it. So. Arguably the bigger news for Ole Miss was Mike Bianco also while on Sports Talk Mississippi there with my old uh, cohorts, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, mentioned that Ole Miss is shaking up the rotation this weekend, which this game is a shock to me. I thought that they were going to hold chalk. And honestly, if they didn't do, if they did something different, maybe kind of look around and see what you could do about Sunday with Drew McDaniel, because I thought what was telling about Sunday was Mike Bianco, Drew McDaniel didn't blow up. As Colin outlined where we went through the whole Yes, I understand the math on this, but I also don't understand how this happened thing with his ERA. Mike had a quick hook on Drew McDaniel, and he clearly did not trust him. UCF only scored one run in the entire game, and Drew McDaniel only made it three and two-thirds innings. Like, like, make that make sense. Or, excuse me, two and a third inning, not three and two-thirds. Like, Mike wasn't really screwing around. You know, the first sign of trouble for McDaniel, he got him out of there. I don't think he – you know, at that point in the game, it was only two to one, and I don't think Mike – with what he had left in the bullpen, was taking any chances. Went straight to Kimball, who was really, really, really good for Ole Miss, which I think is a positive sign. Um, and Dylan Delucia. And so I guess that you could maybe see the seed planted there of, while wow, Mike really doesn't trust McDaniel. That, that, was a, uh, that was a really quick cook for a guy that had struck out four, walked two, and given up one under a run because 
uh, because Kemp Alderman didn't see a fly ball uh, into his glove. So, but then beyond that, so they're going up. I should have started with this at the top, but Mike Bianco, the news was is that they're going John Gaddis, Derek Diamond, and TBA on Sunday. So maybe it is McDaniel, maybe it's not. But I think part of what's deriving this decision, this is just my initial reaction about 45 minutes after this news technically broke, is the fact that Ole Miss went through a weekend. They won a road series, two out of three, against a team that is probably an NCAA tournament team, as you heard Colin and I debate that earlier. Like, I don't know that for a fact, and things could change and happen, but I thought UCF was pretty good. And anyway, they made it through that weekend. They were you know, a couple of miscues away from a clean sweep without using arguably their best bullpen arm in Jack Doherty. And I just wonder if Mike Bianco sat down on Sunday evening or Monday morning whenever he arrived at the decision and was sitting there thinking, hmm, I have a clear weakness on Fridays based on what we've seen so far, and I definitely have a question mark on Sundays. And we just left a series where he won two out of three on the road without the our arguably our best pitcher, arguably our best bullpen arm, ever really needing to enter the game, right? Like if Ole Miss had gotten up one to nothing on Saturday, I think you probably would have seen Doherty close that sucker out. But Delucia and Kimbrell were so good, and I don't necessarily think this is a ringing endorsement directly of their performances that might completely trust either Delucia or Kimbrell. I do think the way that they pitched on Sunday probably may be factored into this decision a bit. Dylan DeLucia was awesome. I mean, he gives up one hit over four innings, strikes out six, and was really just fooling UCF's hitters throughout the entirety of the start. I mean, there wasn't a single moment where he was really even stressed. He threw 51 pitches, 37 strikes. It was – and that coming off the heels of two not great outings, I think that was pretty pretty impressive and honestly something I didn't necessarily see coming. And the same thing with the Kimball thing. Kimball comes in and gets that ground ball uh, to get out of the frame. And I was like, all right, that was maybe a little bit of a fortuitous luck because he did fall behind that kid to, to that header two to one. And I was sitting there thinking, man, looks like he's struggling to locate again. He gets it out. But then he comes back out in the next two innings and shoves. Like, it was really pretty effortless. So I guess what I'm getting at is Ole Miss's newfound bullpen depth from the Riley Maddoxes, who was really good on a Friday, from the Hunter Elliotts, um, from uh, Mason Nichols, who was really good in that loss on the Saturday game. I think Mike feels more comfortable maybe making – I won't call this a rash, to shit, rash decision. I can't talk today. But I will call it a, a pretty deliberate decision and one he probably could have kicked the can down the road on. I think Mike maybe feels like he doesn't have to kick the can down the road because – of what he's seen from some newcomers in the bullpen, that being pretty much everyone I just named except for Kimball, right? You know, you've got Hunter Elliott, newcomer, Dylan DeLucia, newcomer, Mason Nichols, newcomer. So I think because of what he's seen from them, he maybe feels more comfortable. Now, look, you could get to a point, I don't know much about Oral Roberts. I don't think Ole Miss will necessarily be tested a ton this weekend. But say they get into two tight games on Friday and Saturday and you have to use a Doherty or an Elliott or whomever else may be a candidate to be this team Sunday starter, then maybe you just throw McDaniel out there. But I don't think they want to go ahead and announce it. I think that's what probably led to the TBA. The Gaddis part of this, uh, if him going on Friday and Diamond going on Saturday, Connor and I hit on this in the earlier part of the podcast where we talked about there's just something different about being really, really good on Saturdays versus being versus moving to Friday. You saw that with Doug Nikhazy, right? He was a good pitcher on Friday night for Ole Miss in the SEC. I'm not trying to you know, play the revisionist history game here and suggest he wasn't, but Doug was pretty much superhuman for 
a large part of the of most of his career, and the few times he seemed to look human in the starts that he went to Friday night, and that's not I, like it's weird to say because he was still pretty good for the most part when you look at the starts that he had on Friday night, but it was just a little bit more difficult for him at times when he made it look very easy. You kind of saw the same thing with Christian Trent in 2014. He was incredible for Ole Miss on Saturdays in 2014 and really catalyzed that run to Omaha. And then he becomes their Friday guy out of necessity next year. And while good, he was not the same pitcher and did not look the same. And there's something just different about Fridays in the SEC. And I don't necessarily even know what that is, but it's just something different. And I felt like John Gaddis was perfect for that Saturday role, given the way he pitched, he's not going to overwhelm you with velocity, but he doesn't make fatal mistakes very often. And knows how to get guys out as an older pitcher. Now, does that mean he's not – I don't think he – I don't – I think this is setting him up for failure by throwing him on Friday. No, not 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 hardly. You know, maybe he gets on Friday in an offensive SEC that seems to lack a lot of frontline aces that you've seen in years past, as we've discussed on this podcast a few times, and succeeds, and it's a great move. Um, that's entirely possible. I was just curious to see him already make this move, given that while Diamond wasn't great against UCF by any stretch, and I have my doubts – about his ability to continually collect outs at the rate at which you need to collect them to win on Fridays in the SEC, frontline starting pitch and lacking be damned from the opponents. I didn't think Mike would make this move this soon. I thought he would get to the Oral Roberts, and I thought it was going to take a blow up or two on Fridays once you got into SEC play before Mike made this move. So, you know, if you're in the camp of Dare, you were anti-Dare Diamond and you didn't want to, like, you knew where this is going from the start or you thought you knew where this was going from the time you saw it, last weekend or earlier, you got to pat Mike on the back a little bit and give him credit for being proactive and fixing it before Ole Miss drops a crucial Friday night game in the SEC. Because as you all know from watching this for years, the margin for error in SEC play is so much slimmer. And you know, Ole Miss, what did they win? Did Ole Miss win 17 or 18 league games last year? I think it was maybe 18 and 12. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, they were – you talk about Mike's poor decisions on the Sunday game against A&M and against Mississippi State and Starkville. Those two games go a different way. Ole Miss is probably not – Ole Miss is definitely not playing in Tucson, Arizona to decide their fate for the College World Series, and they might even be playing in Oxford. I think they would definitely be playing in Oxford. And so the margin for error is so slim, and I think Mike learned that lesson last year that you got – I mean, I think that's part of the reason why he's proactive, and I think you have to give him credit for that. Now, as far as the Sunday thing is, I would be fascinated to see how this plays out because if they can find – doesn't – Connor and I hit on – doesn't it seem like all roads lead to Doherty eventually finding his way into the rotation? I mean, the guy's pitched, what, once on the season? Is it once or twice? It doesn't really matter. He went through an entire Ole Miss's first test in the non-conference play where Ole Miss didn't even sweep the series without ever having to pitch. And that's not getting great value and great use out of Jack Doherty. And so it just feels like eventually all roads lead to maybe him ending up in this rotation, which would probably be him on Friday, Gaddis back on Saturday, and Derek Diamond on Sunday, because what Derek Diamond has done so far will be plenty good on Sundays. It's just not on Fridays. And I think Mike sees that and he identifies that. And maybe this is a intermediate step to eventually arriving at the conclusion that I outlined and that Colin and I hit on a second ago. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it turns out completely differently, but that's certainly what this feels like. And it's, what's weird about it is I'm not sure, again, I haven't looked a ton into Aura Roberts yet. I probably won't, to be completely honest, won't be spending a ton of time doing that, but I don't think we'll necessarily know more about John Gaddis, even if he shoves against Oral Roberts. I think you're not going to know until Auburn and perhaps Tennessee. Um, so it's an interesting move. 
I don't know what to think of it yet. I don't think it's a bad move. I kind of commend Mike for being proactive about, you know, noticing that, hey, there's one weakness on this team, and it's in the rotation. I got to shake things up. I just don't think this is probably the final musical chairs in terms of how this shakes out or the final way this is set. And I know clearly it's not because he's technically TBA on Sunday, but I don't think this ends with John Gaddis pitching on Fridays, Derek Diamond on Saturdays, and then just figuring it out on Sundays. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel pretty confident in that. So it's an interesting move. Ole Miss will miss Kevin Graham. I think the rotation stuff is fascinating, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. So that is the end of our show. Sorry it's coming at you guys a little bit later this week. I, uh, I vow to never have my computer hacked by the Saudis again and have the file deleted off my computer. They, uh, they just don't want the truth spread on this podcast, which is it's, it's a damn shame to see, but they're attacked for a few times. No, I'm just messing with you. So we'll be back on uh, sometime in the midweek, probably do a little preview, and then we'll get to mailback preview of the weekend and SEC play coming up after that, and then uh, mailback Friday. Thank you guys for listening. Um, thank you to the rabid audience asking for where the podcast was uh, when I didn't post it today. I really appreciate that. Honestly, it's kind of a cool thing to have someone actually care enough to wonder where the podcast is when it's 12, 13 hours late. So I really appreciate you people for listening and making us a part of your day. Y'all have a wonderful start to your week and I will catch you again on Wednesday or Thursday. We'll probably be Wednesday night and Thursday morning because of old Mrs. Midweek schedule. So y'all take care. Have a great start to the week. We'll holler at you soon.